You have failed this city. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today, finally, finally, we're going to talk about Arrow here on Genreless. Hello and welcome to Genreless, where today we're going to talk about Arrow and the start of the perhaps poorly named Arrowverse, which is at this point very, very, very large. (laughs) So many shows are tied into it, but all of that starts with the small little seed of this little show that started with a company going, but we don't have the rights to Batman, so now what do we do? Because you wouldn't want to see someone running around the whole show saying, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. That is all it would be. 42 minutes every week repeatedly. Right. Uh, So instead, uh, it's the, what other DC characters do we know that use trick weapons and are billionaires and are vigilantes? Oh, hey, we actually have one. His name is Green Arrow. I was going to say Steel, but we each go for our our own... (laughs) Our own hero, I guess, at the end of the day. Right, right. So it's been a while since we've done these. Um, and so to kind of recap the structure, um, we're going to start with their comic book history and powers, which in DC terms is Earth One. Uh, and then we'll dive into kind of the actual show itself. Now, if you have not listened to every episode we've put out, you may not be aware of Green Arrow, but I have spent six entire episodes going through Green Arrow's history. But to recap, Green Arrow is Oliver Queen. He is a very rich man. He uses trick arrows. Uh, what those, How tricky those arrows are depending on which era of who's writing them. Oliver Queen is extremely uh, left-leaning liberal. Uh, in various incarnations, he also uh, is sometimes dead, depending on which part of the DC continuity you're looking at. Uh, he is sometimes uh, very rich, sometimes he's completely poor, uh, but certainly he's always at least some percentage of Robin Hood. Is, is very much the the kind of basis for the character. Was he ever working out of garage out of a garage with his butler? He was, in fact, working out of a garage. At one point in time, he drove cross-country with Green Lantern and uh, a random character from Oa uh, to get into shenanigans and also infamously uh, find out that his side, his teen sidekick was addicted to drugs. <laughs> Heroin, specifically. So the, for, for all of our Marvel fans, I know they're probably asking this question right now. Who came first, Ollie or Clint? So I, 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 I did this research a long time ago, and I've now forgotten the specifics of it, but Green Arrow did come first. Green Arrow was introduced as part of the uh, Justice League in the Justice League comic as kind of a supporting character. Never really got a spinoff going until like the 80s or 90s, uh, whereas uh, Hawkeye did come, uh, he was introduced as an Iron Man villain, uh, but that was like a few years later. And I believe specifically Hawkeye was meant to be kind of 
a bit of a parody of Green Arrow because he was supposed to be Green Arrow, but a villain. And he's not green, he's purple. And that was kind of, so there, there was supposed to be kind of an intentional nod there. And then they both kind of went in two very different directions over time. Okay. For example, Hawkeye uh, has never had a teen sidekick. Well, I take that back. No, tr- no, but uh, uh, Kate Bishop, I take it back. He did have yeah. a teen sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> He he had one of the the best new generation Avenger sidekicks. Right, Kate right. becomes Kate, an awesome. Kate Bishop Hawkeye. is the best. Kate Bishop is, in fact, objectively the best new Avenger. So, my really big question is: you sort of went over this relatively quickly. Ali has superpowers of what? Uh, wealth, arrogance, and arrows, and and being white. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Given his his quartet of superpowers. Which of his arrows is your favorite? Like how I totally changed the subject and I just went for arrows. Right, right. So uh, to preface, Green Arrow started in the Silver Age. And the Silver Age, particularly in DC, is what we in the business like to call bonkers. (laughs) It, it, It makes no goddamn sense. And so the most infamous of his trick arrows, for example, is a boxing love arrow, which makes absolutely no aerodynamic <laughs> sense. But also that is the that is the bottom tier of weird shit for Silver Age trick arrows, right? My, my favorite trick arrow is probably the fire boomerang arrow, which not only comes back to you when you shoot it, but also is on fire, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I haven't read that one because I have not read a lot of Green Green Arrow. I'm not going to lie. I've seen Green Arrow when they pop up in Justice League. I've watched Arrow, all of it. And mm-hmm. I know about Connor Hawk and a few other people. So I know some tangential stuff. And if I'm right. not even mistaken, didn't Ollie lose an arm somewhere along the way in at least one incarnation? Briefly, he, he lost an arm, yes. Um, that was during his 80s run, I want to say. Full disclosure, my knowledge of Green Arrow, uh, uh, a year ago, I had zero knowledge of Green Arrow. Now I've read it a lot because of this podcast, so now suddenly I'm an expert because of this podcast. But in the 80s, there was kind of a gritty reboot of Green Arrow, and so at one point in time, he lost an arm, which means how can you be an archer with one arm, and oh my god. But also, that's where a lot of the mythology we're going to see in this run kind of comes from, is that kind of 80s era. So yeah, he's always had a rough life, certainly. And what's interesting, one of the things that I find interesting about Ollie is that he is very much a person who thinks he's a man of the people. And depending on the writer, either the writer misses the point and kind of goes, no, Ollie's actually, you know, cares and is liberal and cares with people. And some writers realize that this is a rich person's perspective of how liberal agendas work. <laughs> and Ollie sometimes just completely misses the point. And I feel like Oliver's better when he's in that zone of like the, I'm a person of people, but also I can run for mayor because I'm bored. You know, that's, <laughs> that's peak Oliver Queen for me. All right. Since I, I will not badger you with a whole bunch of Green Arrow questions, although I'm tempted <laughs> to, because I listened to your run um, when you did it. So I have, I know more about Green Arrow now than I did before you became an expert on it. Thank you. But we, we came to talk about the show. Batman. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, normally we just spend more time on this stuff, but I did literally spend six hours talking about this. So I just go back and listen to that. 
but also I do want to spend a little time because the setup for Arrow the show is is interesting because it is it is the groundwork for what we're talking about for many weeks after this. Uh, and the joke I made earlier is actually not that much of a joke. The CW really didn't want to do a Batman show and really could not get the rights because the rights to a Batman TV show were tied up. Uh, I believe those rights eventually became the Gotham show, which also weirdly does not have a lot of Batman in it, but the Gotham Knights had just aired that I, no, 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 no. The Gotham police TV show. Oh, all right. The, the, the I've never Batman, seen that one. Batman without Batman show. Right. You mean the, the Jim Gordon show, right? Right. Where Jim Gordon just does everything. Though I guess you really couldn't call the show Gordon. I mean, it I loses so much. Right. So they really, the, the, this first season that we're going to cover is going to feel a lot like a Batman show because that's kind of what they wanted to do. And so the one thing that's interesting going into this is that this is a show that kind of doesn't want to be a superhero show. It gets over this by after season one. But right now, we're not going to see a lot of, of superpowers. Uh, spoiler, but The Flash is going to come along soon, and then The Flash way over that nonsense and just leans into it and drags the rest of the Arrowverse kicking streaming into the absolute bonkers that is DC Comics. So we're not there yet. So this it is, is still strange be... though that, sorry, it is strange mm-hmm. that superhero shows, when they originally start, a lot of them don't want to be superhero shows. Right. Sort of how Smallville didn't really want to be a superhero show. Yeah. How the Flash that we watched really didn't want to be a superhero show until it was like yep. later in the run. They said, all right, we're a superhero show. Let's do it. And this followed a similar model. Yeah. And I mean, even more to Smallville's point, this is the CW who are also explicitly trying to recapture lightning in a bottle because Smallville was big money for them. And so they're like, we want to do another DC show. Uh, and so starting with Green Arrow is kind of an odd choice at first but if you think about it it's about the same odd choice as starting the marvel universe with iron man right it's the you you pick a rich asshole that's likable and you kind of start building a franchise around them and to be i mean it works right like this this show ran for seven seasons it's there were if i'm counting correctly four official spinoffs and one or two unofficial spinoffs that kind of got reabsorbed in because multiverse will get into that. Well, I think it goes back to the key of anything. It could be successful if it has good writing and commitment. Like you could yes. go and make a show this about the Riddler as like your primary is your primary antagonist or sorry, protagonist throughout the entire show. Or wow, let's just go the old age Sandman, the Dodd version who actually shot sleep gas at people. That would be yes. an incredible show if done properly with good writing. Honestly, I would watch the hell out of that, to be honest. I, I, I love the noir uh, Sandman. Um, but to your point, I think the reason why this show landed so well is is three things. One, it is unabashedly a CW show. And at this point, CW has their formula down. They know what it works. It is pretty people doing soap opera plus genre. That is the CW formula. They have refined it. And at this stage, 
when we did Smallville, we kind of saw some faltering steps. It wasn't quite figured out what it is. This is the CW has locked that down. They know exactly how to make these kinds of shows. This is just another one. This is another supernatural. This is another, you know, um, the the witch show that I'm blanking name of. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those shows. It's like pretty people plus soap opera plus genre, and they got it. It's the genre happens to be vigilante superheroes. Well, same uh, thing you like said for Marvel, though. Marvel yeah, has no, its I, formula down with like uh, humor, superheroes, insert other genre. Yep. No, absolutely. It, it, it's funny superheroes plus movie tro- or movie genre. Absolutely. Ant-Man is that plus heists. Mm. You know, Doctor Strange Winter Soldier is that, is that plus, plus spy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, no, yeah, the, these are both and they're, they're contemporaries, right? Like this was... 2007, so just around the time that Iron Man launched. So these, these both kind of launch at roughly the same time. Marvel Cinematic Universe is just ballooning out, uh, and then the CW Universe is going to kind of parallel that in a lot of ways. Uh, so that's one piece. The second piece is, you're right, this is a, a team that were able to commit to a 23-episodes arc. Uh, and specifically, they got some comic book writers to work on this show. Uh, so people who know how comics are paced and structured, because at a structural level, comics and this kind of TV do work really well. You want to have a satisfying episode arc, but also threads that go through it drag you into each of the following episodes. A, a comic book is structured exactly the same way. So that's another point. The writing was was not always great. I mean, it's, a lot of the dialogue is very formulaic, but again... They're, they know exactly what they're writing to, and they execute that well, in my argument. And third is Stephen Amell's abs are absolutely why this show takes off. Because I'm speaking as an asexual straight man, boy, how he has a pretty man. <laughs> <laughs> Which Stephen Amell becomes a better actor as the series goes on. Yes, but he is the perfect intersection of he's pretty he's doing his own stunts which is a huge ask for a relatively unknown actor at this point well wait wait he, you're forgetting he had all of that hung fame if you remember that hbo show hung right like i said was- relatively unknown actor <laughs> <laughs> and he kept himself in superhero shape for seven years a lot of actors can't manage that for one movie and then he went in, he just started doing at least, I think, some WWE wrestling stuff too, if he I remember did, right. did, in fact. He is a huge fan of WWE and uh, was friends with Cody Rhodes and actually got into an angle. With, and he was decent in the ring, honestly. He did through the training. All accounts were he was very humble about it and appreciative. So, I mean, he's, he's an actor who could have said, I need to stunt double here, but he frequently doesn't. He does a lot of the action scenes himself. And that ends uh, adds a level of reality that helps bring the show out of a lot of potential triteness. Um, because at the end of the day, you have to believe that this guy has, in season one, that this guy uh, has a relative straightforward mission. He's a pretty dour, straightforward character. So you have to have a reason to follow him. Uh, and... Stephen Amell, by 
being in those scenes, they can do different cinematography things. They don't have to disguise that it's him. And so it feels like we're actually in those combat scenes in a way that's, that's really gripping. Over time, they bring in the fourth piece, and we're not going to really see, we see the start of it here, but it really hits in second season, which is the supporting cast. The, the Arrow is a, a fantastic supporting cast, and the lessons they learn from this on how to build a supporting cast do end up showing up in other eight CW shows, sometimes to their detriment, I would argue. Uh, but Ollie is, this version of Ollie, right, season one Ollie, is someone that would get boring after a while if it did not have a strong cast to continually push him in different directions. And by season one, they realized that they, he was on that trajectory, but they had built in the scaffolding to start to push him in new directions, which I think is strong. So they have a strong will, plan and they, and they definitely know what they're doing with it. I think the cast was actually just to kind of add on to that. I think the cast was already in place. And even just from the episodes that we chose to watch this season, they're there and have a strong supporting piece that they play that enhances every single episode, I think. But uh, even by what was it? Episode eight, you have a solid interaction. I want it if I remember right with Diggle and Felicity being there. That doesn't even count Lance, who is antagonistic, who becomes more of a, an ally sort of by the end of it. But like those well, three fair. are the core and that happens early on. Otherwise, I think people would have fallen off by episode three or four. Well, I, I, my say strong sport cast, to be fair, that's a good point. Uh, there's some implicit stuff here I should make explicit. A weak supporting cast only exists around the lead. I would make the argument, I understand this is controversial, that Doctor Who has weak supporting casts for this reason, because without the Doctor's supporting cast, generally disappears. It's part of the design of the show. You can excuse it, but that, that's an easy example to make. By episode eight, and there's point historical out, context to back that up. That's why they got rid of certain actresses who were too strong in personality and they replaced them with other people. Exactly. Modern Who has started to write, write that ship, uh, but still it's, 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 it's in, in the end of the show. But as you point out, like episode eight, and we'll talk more about it when we get there, but the supporting cast have a relationship to Oliver, but also all of them have at least one relationship to somebody else in the cast. So they can start to have scenes that don't involve Oliver either being in the scene or aren't talking about Oliver, and it's still propelling the show forward. And when the show really hits a stride, season two, season three, you start to a point where even almost entire episodes barely feature Oliver, and you're still being dragged along. That's something that we talked about Twin Peaks tried to do and didn't always succeed in. But this is a this is a again CW knows how to make ensemble TV. They're really really good at it. Mm-hmm. That is even to bring up problematic director again, but who made some genre specific television that almost followed a sim- similar model would be if you go back and look at Angel when it came out, the Angel series. Angel is a very dour but overly fight capable character. And that is great for like one episode, maybe two, but that's why you insert people like Doyle and Cordelia who are humorous that have their own interactions that then elevate that show and their interaction with Angel. So you have something that's watchable for multiple seasons. Right. And you mentioned before about Marvel has humor plus superheroes. Certainly the CW 
shows also have humor. Arrow is the one that has the least humor. But even in this run, the humor is very downplayed, but presence. Um, you mentioned with uh, Angel. One of the things is like, if we have actors who like play characters like Angel, play Oliver Queen, even Sherlock Holmes, right? A lot of times those actors are actually very, very funny. And you have to have a certain comedic timing to sell other people's comedy in the scene. And that's something that, again, Stephen Amell does really well in this show is that he can't be funny at this stage, but he can set himself up to let other people's humor shine, particularly against Diggle in this season. Yeah. Diggle's not a Looks funny like- character, but Diggle's uh, uh, barbs hit harder because Oliver sells them better because he understands the comedic <laughs> timing needed. Much like Pedro Pascal and everything is always portrayed yes. as like the grim character that's going out there. And if you see Pedro Pascal in anything, he is like the life of the party, unbelievably funny and silly. And all of that is like contained, but can react to other actors and actresses, giving them what they need to respond to. Yeah, no. Uh, I would argue that shows like The Mandalorian actually showcase that really well, although his role in Wonder Woman 84, I think, really showed his actual comedic chops a lot better. Um, that is the only Sorry. thing I love about I liked I love 84 just for Maxwell Lord, <laughs> even though it was not the Maxwell Lord that I grew up loving. Regardless, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I brought that movie up. but So are we going to give spoilers about what Maxwell, Maxwell Lord Maxwell Lord did? No. I can't say Ted Cord. <laughs> oh, oh, in the comics, yeah, no, he, he killed Blue Beetle. Like, several times, actually, now that, depending on which continuity, he, every continuity he killed Blue Beetle. It's, it's weirdly obsessive. And I specifically make this reference because in the comics, you get the joy of Wonder Woman snapping his neck. Yes. Who Wonder Woman should be because... She's like a thousand-year-old warrior who would kill a motherfucker. And yeah. that is one of the best parts about her. Infinite Crisis, which Saul spun out of her doing that, was actually a really good story, I thought. But we're not here to talk about superpowers. We're here to talk about arrows with with uh, boxing gloves on them. Right. And again, it's... I talk about this in the Speechless, too, but there's an arc of... Trick Arrow is inversely proportional to dourness of Oliver Queen. If Oliver Queen is the the bitter, edgy, this is going to be the dark version of Arrow, you know, where he starts talking like this. Um, you almost see no Trick Arrows. If Oliver is Robin Hood and just straight up owns Robin Hood, then you get the Boxing Glove Arrow, which is kind of the iconic Trick Arrow. Interestingly, this season does manage to actually split the difference in some interesting ways. He does actually have trick arrows in this, but how they're presented are within that structure. So it's an interesting compromise because I think the show realized we can't have green arrow and not have stupid arrows. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. He never g- drops behind someone and says, I'm arrow. Never <laughs> happens. I kept waiting for it. Every, every watch. Nope. Never was there. Okay. But I definitely go to rant before we start the first episode. What is up with this trend of superhero shows where they refuse to give the hero the name that everyone knows them as? It's the buildup. So at the end of the first season, you can get like a superhero name. (sighs) It's shows that don't want to be superhero shows, but are about superheroes. 
it just reminds me of the, the 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 latest Fantastic Four movie, and of all the sins I could put against it, the biggest one, not the biggest one, one of the biggest ones, is that it goes through the whole movie. They're about to say the name of the th- the group, and then don't. And I'm like, you just don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. None of us want to be here. We should just all go. <laughs> it's it's the illusion that it'll be a big payoff. That's why if you watch the Avengers movies. Captain America never says Avengers assemble until the last like one where they're in the big battle with Thanos for all the beeswax. That's what he says. Avengers assemble. And it's like, uh, I don't know. It's the show is called arrow. Chris, (laughs) the show is called arrow. Having said that, we've got to do this before we really get into this. Now, why? Eddie, would I want to use a bow and arrow to fight crime other than a gun to like that has multiple shots? I don't necessarily run out of ammo quite as quick. If I'm held upside down and shaken by a super strong villain, my arrows don't fall out of my quiver. Do you want the show's explanation of that? Or do you want my personal opinion on why Oliver has made the choice he made? Both. So the show's explanation, and I think this is hilarious personally, is that Oliver Queen, with a straight face, says, it takes skill to kill with a bow and arrow. It doesn't take skill to kill with a gun. So therefore, I can keep people alive with a bow and arrow. Bow and arrows are designed to murder people. (laughs) They're, they're, They're designed to hunt people. I think the reason why Oliver actually does it is because... Despite his traumatic experiences, he is still an extra party boy and likes to be extra. <laughs> I'll resist making an Obi-Wan joke about blasters <laughs> and the force that I could insert here. And we could just go on if you're ready to actually talk about the show that you've waited so long for. And it's not like I'm going to keep rambling on just so we can't talk about the show that you've gone through months. Nay, nay, nay. Multiple months. Nay, nay, nay. M- multiple years because we're in our second year now to get to talk about arrow the tv show but instead i'm gonna keep talking about like twin peaks maybe we could talk about uh blake seven some more or are we gonna go all the way back and talk about some anime are you still here (laughs) (laughs) episode one pilot After a violent shipwreck, billionaire playboy Oliver Queen is missing and presumed dead for five years before being discovered alive on a remote island in the Pacific. Back in Starling City, Oliver slowly reconnects with those closest to him, his devoted mother Moira, his beloved sister Thea, and his best friend Tommy Merlin. But he struggles with his ex-girlfriend Dinah Lance, who blames him for his sister's death, and everyone calls her Laurel. Oliver has brought back many new skills from his time on the island, and despite the watchful lie of his new bodyguard, John Diggle, Oliver manages to secretly create the persona of The Hood, a vigilante, to right the wrongs of his family and fight the ills of society. As The Hood, Oliver will atone for the past sins of his family while he searches for the personal redemption he needs. And, okay. So this episode, we start to set a, a, a trope, which is that every episode of Arrow is going to take place in the modern day of the show, which in this case is 2007, but also flashback to his time on the island where he was alone for five years and nothing else happened. (laughs) I want to do some math here. Every season of Arrow has 23 episodes. The flashbacks to the islands last 
for five seasons. <laughs> there are 115 episodes, at least portion of which is devoted to Oliver's time on this island. It's ridiculous. This season is the least ridiculous version of it. And this season is actually pretty cool. Well, mostly pretty cool. But the idea of like comparing and contrasting who Oliver was five years ago to who he is now is actually a really strong one. And if it had been kept this episode or maybe a few episodes, I would have loved it. But I want, I want you to truly understand is that when I was talking before about how this is a Batman show and it's very grounded and very real, understand that th there's a parenthesis of except for the island nonsense, which is <laughs> ludicrous. I'm not exaggerating, but spoilers for season five, he leaves the island and joins the Russian mafia. As you do. And then after joining the Russian mafia, having been off the island, goes back to the island to be discovered. We're not going to talk about Slade on the island and oh, all of the other Slade? people that pop up on the island. It's like Gilligan's Island, how they're all alone. Yes, or lost, where it's like... They were secretly dead the whole time. Well, okay, I wish I wish kind of they were by season three because it's <laughs> like like the yakuza are on this island for some reason. So, but where else would he learn all these cool fighting and arrow based skills if not for the army of people that have come to the island? Him leaving the island, going back to the island, working for a secret organization run by uh, Waller to go back to the island. Oh, I forgot. Yes, he was a secret agent for Argus for like a whole season. I forgot about Argus. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. But um, so on the one hand, this actually does explain why he has the insane skills he does in episode one. Because, like, okay, he <laughs> went through some shit. Um, and you pick up some shit in five years. That, that's some intense on-the-job training. So it's like, that actually kind of explains it. But... There's a cool season-long story here, which is his father did something shady. There's a list of names of people he did shady things with. He, the father regrets what he's done and needs Oliver to avenge him and to avenge the bad things he's done, which is where the you have failed the city line comes from. And it's really strong in this season. It's a nice, strong arc. And so he spent five years just trying to survive because his dad told him to survive. And through five years of surviving on his own, he becomes this hardened person that needs to atone for his father's sins. It's a nice, tidy story. And you just need to stop thinking about it because it stops making sense real damn fast. <laughs> but... So but the one thing I do want to bring up, aside from just we, we've got, you, you have to start with talking about that because the island thing is, is nonsense. But we do briefly find Sarah Lance, who is Laurel's sister, who dies in this. She is going to become a Gordian knot of continuity. And it all starts in this first episode. <laughs> you mean by being recast when they actually need Sarah to act on screen? They, they recast her, she comes back to life, then she dies again, then she's actually not even straight, so why is she having sex with Oliver to begin with is questionable. 
you don't want to talk about her captaining a time ship, and we're not going to go there. We're, to talk uh, that, about that's, we're, we're not even to the time travel stuff yet. There's a whole thing. There's, she's from a parallel universe sometimes. So Sarah Lance is like patient zero of watching the Arrowverse get more and more bonkers. Just kind of watching her trajectory is a perfect watching the arc of it just just escalate and i love i love sarah lance sarah lance is great but it was so weird to go back and watch this episode it's like that is not sarah lance i don't know who that woman is not even the recasting thing just like how she acts how she's portrayed how her talks about her it's like this is not sarah lance at all she is a well, very different character at the end of this journey this this is her pre potential first death being indoctrinated into oh what's 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 the what's the group called that brought her back from the dead in the Lazarus pit. Oh, the, um, the guild of assassins. She's a member of the guild of assassins. So that you, that's going to change you from, from party girl to league of assassins member to having died from the Lazarus pit. We know if you're listening to us, you know, the Lazarus pit, if you die, they put you in, it brings you back to life. You're not quite the same. The more uses, the more different you get. And so that is going to have impacted her personality like that. No, totally. Five year arc of her story. There's actually a genuine arc for Sarah Lance. And of course, it, it's being this is what we're doing here. It actually takes over the course of several different shows entirely. But I bring it up because I, I think it's a good point to have it touched on to keep going back to as we go through these shows. Because sometimes people argue that the Arrowverse becomes too much like a comic book. It's too kind of crossover heavy. And there's lots of threads of continuity between shows. You have to watch all the shows to follow it. And they argue that that's the same problems that the big two superhero universes have. And some people have said that it's something that comes along much later. I argue day one, episode one, this starts happening. It has always been a comic book show. It's always meant to be a show with the potential for lots of continuity. And this show was, because a lot of the characters they introduce in the season don't become their superhero or, or DC versions for many years from now. But a lot of these characters, if you're familiar with DC Comics, there's a lot of familiar names in this very first episode. So it's all kind of year one stuff. Yeah, but the crossovers, even in the comics, if you read them, take forever to occur. And it's just because of how the comic medium was written then compared to as it is now. If we go for Marvel, there it is. there are more superheroes in Marvel than, than there are non-powered people. And there's so many battles. <laughs> and for a long time, you would never have multiple heroes from different books coming to the same site to fight the same villain. I don't know how. Like the right. Statue of Liberty Somehow. blew up. And only Spider-Man <laughs> is there. It doesn't matter that Daredevil is there, that the Avengers are hanging out. All these other people see it vanish. They go, somebody else has got it. And so it fortunately came to a point now in writing that you have all these crossovers. And the TV shows almost kind of mirror that from how they evolved and changed. Right. digression but you know my favorite bit of a marvel comic not paying attention to other marvel's continuity what's that dr strange early 70s there's an entire arc where he literally destroys the entire universe and then they <laughs> remake it back but he's the only one who remembers it was destroyed <laughs> was that in the defenders run i would hope no, it wasn't actually. It was in his solo book, but he references it in Defenders Run, and everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> Both it was the 70s. Good. Everyone was high. I got to say, okay. though, I, I'll talk to you about Arrow. Can I tell you how traumatic that must have been? Not the boat crash. You're like, you lost your girlfriend. You think you're going to die. You're on the boat with your dad to watch your dad kill someone 
and then turn at you and say, survive, blam, what the fuck? I was starving to death. We're going to be okay. We'll hit land. Survive. Boom. Like that is. Yeah. I, I will say that like it, it is definitely reinforced the comic book trope of like every superhero ultimately should have seen a therapist before they put on an out, a uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, that's some shit. And then even this first episode, kind of jumped in a little bit, we find out that even his mother's not exempt from this. It, it is is just like yeah, no, it's the, the, come in for a ride because the the queen family is is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, since you wanted to come here so long, where would you like to start in the episode? We we bounced around a lot, and I've got to express how traumatic it is to witness your father execute himself and someone I mean, else. I feel like we covered all the, the island stuff. I think it's just going to be easier to kind of say, here's the island stuff, here's the island stuff, rather than bouncing around. But I mean, otherwise, it's, the, the first part of it is, is, is good, solid character building, but there's nothing exciting about it. It's like, okay, he comes back. We, it, it starts well. It's like, you know, here's our news crawl, talking about why he's been gone for five years. And then he comes back, and we so we meet we meet his, his friend Tommy, and we meet you know we we realize that there's a problem with Laurel, and we, oh it's because he slept with their sister. And again, the flashbacks used well because it's like we get the something's wrong with relationship with Laurel. I used to love her, and now we don't. And then we see him sleeping with Sarah Lance, and it's like oh well okay that explains it. So it's a good structure there, but the first twenty minutes is just ground building. It's good ground building, but. If you were expecting a super high action show, the, the the beginning of the show is not necessarily setting you up for that. Hmm. It's, it's a bit of a slow build, slow burn. But yeah, but that also makes it work. In my opinion, makes it work a little bit better when you get the action spike. Agreed. Before we can get into the action, we need to know about the protagonists and have some feeling or care about them. Otherwise, them getting into danger in their shenanigans don't mean as much to us as viewers. No, I completely agree. Arrow is setting the standard that, again, CW formula, these, these are character-driven shows, ultimately. Uh, and so to do that, we have to build the characters first, and the action comes as an outgrowth of those character actions. And uh, kind and of... Sorry. Just before you go on to, I guess, the more important point, but just to touch back again, and because following Oliver isn't the same as if we're following Bruce Wayne. If you say Bruce Wayne, people know that that's Batman. You right. say Oliver Queen, they go Oliver who? And so we need all the extra buildup to submit who this is and go, Oh, this is Oliver Wayne. Got it. Um, and again, we're, we're setting up some Batman ish scenarios. Like he's the playboy that, and that's a secret identity. And so he throws a big, uh, you know, there's a big we're gonna be a big party and that's kind of the big build up to the the climax is that you know, we're gonna throw a, a coming back party and he's trying to be this party boy that he was with his friend tommy but it's clear his heart's not in it um so we're setting up the i'm going to have a persona that's just kind of this foppish playboy but also secretly i'm going to be this vigilante so yeah we're we're building the stuff that's distinctive to this interpretation of the character and distinctive to Oliver Queen as a character, but also it's a familiar structure that people who are familiar with the much more prominent Batman go, okay, but I can map onto this is Bruce Wayne. This is Batman. I, I get what they're trying to do with the show. So that, I personally feel like the whole show starts to kind of, at least the first quarter, half of it, third of it strikes a good balance of 
this is a show that you're familiar with or structure you're familiar with, but we're putting like our own twist on it. Which I totally agree with. And then you have the kidnapping that sort of happens in the car. And yep. to see Oliver then break into action, dispatch and kill the people sort of then goes and cements that this is not Batman. We're telling you a different type of story. We've shown you that outline that you made an assumption about. And now we're going to subvert that and have our hero kill these people. Right. And that's one of the things I love about Arrow is because a rich man has been kidnapped shortly after disappeared for five years. Uh, and he goes, no, no, I'm fine. His family does the logical thing, which is they hire a bodyguard for him. And we get John yeah. Diggle, the best person. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the whole show, frankly, is John Diggle. The the goat of the show, in my opinion. He is. No, he's, he is fantastic. And it's a, it's a great dynamic because then, okay, we've got a twist, is that now he has to keep sacred identity from his bodyguard. Right? And jumping ahead briefly to episode eight, that shit doesn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> Because Diggle is smarter than you. <laughs> but the- but to, for the kidnapping, though, they've hired Diggle. But then you get a chance to get the interaction between Oliver and Lance. Yeah. And, like, that is oh, her father, perfect. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, and again, it's, it's the... He's furious. And, and, and it's going to... Um, both Laurel and... Uh, Officer Lance have great reactions because it's the they uh, rightly or wrongly is, is over here, but like they, they naturally blame Oliver for Sarah's death, and so again it brings a nice tension to the show, and it leads to an established trope of like I have to pretend like I'm a jerk so the people closest to me are, are stay away, you know, blah blah. blah. But I mean, it's it's still uh, an, a nice dynamic. It, episode one, you're going, okay, there's there's some things are not going smoothly for Oliver. I'm kind of sympathetic to him because he had a rough go of it, but also some people are being understandably frustrated with him. And so I can kind of see both sides. So you're already kind of invested in But all that said, I did watch the, the very brief Dresden Files show before I watched Arrow. And so this is why I walk- love doing this show with you. Because I was about to mention Paul Blackthorne is dressed in. Yes! Paul Blackthorne is great, but I cannot. As I going, where's Bob? Come on. What's going on here? Use your, use your hockey stick. <laughs> that and, show and, was, and sorry, fair, Dresden Files was so bad, but so good. It was. Oh, it was it was the best, worst show. And I there's like only four or five episodes of that show that exists. And seven seasons of this show, and I still go, oh, that's 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 Dresden. <laughs> Paul Blackthorne's like, I've done this show for seven years. Like, I don't care. You're still here, Dresden. <laughs> Did you also spot six? No, I didn't. He was uh, Lance's second in command. Nice. He's the guy that pulled nice. him off of Oliver. That that was six. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's six. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's always great to see people you like getting work. All right, sorry, that was a total digression. We, we'll have to cover the Dresden Falls now. Maybe that'll be a special. I could come up with yeah. another reason. All right, we're stopping this episode now to go do another special <laughs> in the middle to come back. No, here no, no, finish this. But anyway, so I mean, we 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 uh, Oliver kills the first person, 
on the, on the list. I mean, I'm going to jumping the name because we were running low on time. Uh, he kills the first person on his list. Um, and, and we see the trick arrow, which is the USB drive arrow, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just a, a, a classic of pointless bullshit trick arrows. <laughs> it's like, you can have a USB drive or you can have a USB drive that you can't possibly put in your pocket. <laughs> So I, I know that you mentioned we're running long, so we can fast forward to this one. But we do have to mention the introduction, I think it happens in this one, of Felicity, Felicity Smoke, who yes. is going to become an incredibly important character throughout the show. Yeah, no, she is classic. Um, we brought this actress on for a small part and loved her so much. We kept writing part for her, and eventually her part, became she became major lead. She was not meant, she was supposed to be a throwaway character. And everyone loved Felicity Smoke. And Felicity Smoke ends up being like one of the linchpin characters in the show. I think she's also written in the comics later if she wasn't already a comic character. I'm trying to remember some of my choppy she, arrow knowledge. She was originally a comic character. She owned a company. Uh, she owned a, a corporation. But then she was kind of written out. She was like a relative minor character. But then the show became popular, so they wrote her back in. And I believe that the role she has in the show that she played by the original Felicity Smoke's daughter in the comics. I think that's how that worked. Hmm. Nice. And I know that Diggle was so popular they wrote Diggle into the comics. Yes, because Diggle is actually named after one of the writers for Green Arrow. <laughs> so yeah, there's weird T- tidbits that horse. I thought were important enough to, to throw in there. Indeed. Okay. Anything else on episode one? Yes, we can mention that this, we actually get a glimpse of the mother being somewhat responsible here. And right. we get a shot of Oliver's trauma also in this episode, which was a nice touch. I don't think we get to see much of it, but we do highlight it here briefly. Right. Oh, and also we do get to see the first instance of um, uh, the Salmon Row, where he basically uh, uh, uses the, the equipment to, to use a bar to kind of jump up to the whole bar. You're going to see a lot of Salmon Row. This fucking Is it show. called the Salmon Row? I feel like it's called something called else. Salmon when you something said, that. We could stop and Google, but we won't. But no, I, right I feel right. like a Salmon Row is what you order and eat. But I, I, I that, digress. Uh, whatever. I, I agree, though. Having watched That exercise greatest, you see a lot of. <laughs> It made me want to go out and get one, but then I realized that I will never get those abs, and then I cried no. a little bit on the inside. No, no. Very pretty man. Okay, episode eight. Pinned it up. As Oliver and Helena grow closer, Oliver trains her to be his ally, completing, completely showing her how to use a crossbow. Uh, Diggle disapproves of Oliver sharing his secret with Helena, as he's not sure she can be trusted, but Oliver refuses to listen to his concerns. Lena's quest for revenge proves to be too strong for Oliver to handle after she kills the head of the Chinese triad and all hell breaks loose. Helena, if you were not following, is Huntress. And her story is pretty much the comic book story. Except for replace Batman with, with Green Arrow because, again, the show is trying to be Batman Joe. Um, but it's a reasonably faithful adaptation of the Huntress origin story. Nice. And because it's Green Arrow, it is a way to work in the fact that she has a crossbow. <laughs> but this was, I don't know, I, I, I like this episode because it's a good kind of mid-season episode. Um, it's showing that there's other stuff happening. Again, we, we see Diggle's already completely in on the secret. Huh. Spoiler for the next seven seasons, Oliver is terrible at keeping a secret identity. <laughs> Half of Starling City knows by the end of season seven, I feel like. So him, his, I'm trying to play both sides 
isn't quite working. He's really just lying to his family mostly at this point, which sets up some interesting dynamics with his family. We see that he's still deep in his quest, but this episode really is a, a lot of chances for Oliver to explain why he's not a murderer, which is hilarious because we definitely see him murder a lot of people. Yeah. There, there's no shortage of a body count. Right. So it's the, I only murder when I have to. And Helena correctly points out that's extremely arbitrary. <laughs> it's, it's a really good episode because the difference between Oliver and Helena is razor thin. And the show could take an easy way out of saying that, you know, Oliver has, has morals or standings and Helena is just taken up by vengeance. They start to play with that line, but then they ultimately end in a pretty unsatisfactory from a moral perspective conclusion. Helena isn't really wrong in what she does here from, from a vigilante perspective. And Oliver doesn't satisfactorily justify his moral stance, especially because at the end of the episode, he still straight up murders people. <laughs> and Helena, oh, again, points it out. <laughs> well, I think part of it is it goes back to the reason that Oliver and Helena aren't identical is that Helena is by herself. Right. Oliver has a cast of people around him that are there for him to bounce ideas and engage with and pull him back. And specifically like Diggle, Diggle at this point Felic is acting as his conscience. Yep. And I even think Felicity is already part of the team by now. And so he has these people that are talking to him and saying, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, that's, that's a bad idea. And he may or may not listen to them, but it tempers some of his actions coupled with he, I think the hood at this point has an unsteady alliance with Lance, much how year one Batman had an unsteady relationship with Gordon. And mm -hmm. so, the hood has to fall within certain parameters or else everything around the hood explodes. Right. And Helena is just vengeance without any of those attachments. Yeah. And this is also a good episode because it shows you the balancing act of soap opera style plot lines that are happening here. Cause like you said, we, we have the, the modern day equivalent of the red telephone for, for Lance um, so the hood's feeding him information and he's Lance is starting to, to, to blur some lines with this. Um, but also kind of stuck in the middle of this, we're seeing Tommy Merlin's redemption arc uh, uh, or what we looks to be his redemption arc, as we see shortly that's not to be, uh, but he's like, he's now dating Lauren or Laurel um, and he's trying to make his life better. Laurel's trying to push him to, uh, uh, be a better person because he's been cut off from his inheritance and he's trying to figure out how to, how to, how to live. Uh, and his estrangement from his father is a, at this point kind of a throwaway line, but we, we will see quickly it, it pays off. Um, it's going somewhere. So all of the things that are happening in this episode do actually point to the season finale. And this is something that I have always argued that for some of Arrow's flaws, and certainly it has a quite a few Arrow pretty consistently sticks the season end landing. The, the season finales are usually spectacular and almost always are like, you see all the seeds planted throughout the previous season. Uh, so everything in season eight ultimately is going somewhere. There, there aren't really very many filler episodes in Arrow. Now I say that, again, parentheses, except for the an island nonsense and parentheses. <laughs> all of that is garbage. <laughs> 
I, I, as we didn't want do a full watch through, I will question that saying that this is episode eight and we have solid, solid pointers to the fa- final episode of the season 23. So those mini episodes from here to there feel like they have a lot of filler in there, there which but, is good storytelling, but well, okay. When I say filler, I'm talking about an episode that could be completely dropped and you miss nothing. I don't think Arrow has very many of those. I think okay. something moves forward in each episode. Now, granted, it may not, in this case, actually, Vendetta is a good example. Most of this episode is about Helena, which is a character we don't really see again much after this. She sh- showed up last episode. She pays off this episode. She, she kind of fucks off after this, and we don't really see much of her after this. So from that perspective, these are quote unquote filler. But the Tommy Lance, or sorry, the, the Merlin story moves ahead. Tommy Merlin story moves ahead. His Arrow's relationship with Lance starting to fracture as a police commissioner, that's the, that moves ahead. Diggle becoming increasingly intolerant of Oliver's nonsense definitely moves ahead. Uh, so every episode, one of those character subplots at least is always pushing Nino towards the season finale, even if the bulk of the episode is maybe not necessarily selling that point. So uh, yeah, certainly there are episodes where like, 30 minutes of it, you could have cut out and gone, okay, I didn't need these 30 minutes of it. But <laughs> there's going to be always five, 10 minutes of like, okay, no, this scene was important. So you can't really skip anything, at least the first few seasons. Afterwards, it gets much nicer. But still, there's definitely always momentum. Again, it goes back to comic book writing of like, there's always, like a Chris Claremont style, there's always something moving ahead. There's always a thread. It might be one page, but that one page becomes relevant six, 12 issues later. <laughs> So up to this point, we've seen Tommy interacting somewhat, but what is your opinion of Tommy up to now? So when I was first watching it, I kind of like Tommy, right? Like prior to this, Tommy was a very annoying character. The first six episodes do not do him justice. If you're watching it just without any context of what's happening. In retrospect, it's like, no, you have to kind of not like Tommy to get on the bus of, okay, Thomas can redeem. And I don't like the, a good woman can redeem a man trope as a concept, mm-hmm. but this show does actually do something with that. So I give it credit for that. We're not seeing it here, but at this stage, I'm at the stage of like the show and trope structure tells me that Lauren is going to be bad for Tommy and Tommy's bad for Lauren. But the actual show itself, I want them to be together because they're clearly good for each other, right? Like Tommy's a better person around Lauren and Lauren does not need to be around Oliver's bullshit. Okay. So we, we've we touched on Dig, Felicity, Laurel, Tommy, uh, Moira. I forgot Moira's husband's name. Yeah, who Moira's replaces... husband is actually all I think of him as and he's just kind of a generic British douchebag that does evil things. That's <laughs> basically what he does. <laughs> no, he was. I didn't think. No, he was a guy who put Felicity on the case. That's what I'm thinking of. Not well, the yes, not the husband he, that commits suicide. No, no, no. I mean, he. Yes, but also he did try to threaten to fire her because she was mildly annoying to his wife. So he threatened to he's fire her to. Well, but they had context later. He threatened to fire her so she would stop doing it because the last person that he asked disappeared a day later. So there's that additional layer of context added to it. True, but it really feels like it's the, oh, maybe I should give her a reason. Okay, I'll tell her this. <laughs> 
I, I take it differently because they added that and then that was added as a warning and then asking if she wanted to go do this incredibly dangerous thing that someone else that works in security that can protect themselves did versus you as a computer hacker. Like that added some of that extra stuff for me. But uh, That's fair. But also, I mean, one of the things I liked about Felicity's episode is that they established her character trait of Felicity is absolutely fearless. And part of that is because you're not sure if it's the she's genuinely a fearless good person, which she is, or if she doesn't entirely understand what's going on around her. <laughs> then we could talk future talk about future Felicity and her dark backstory, but we won't do that. She yet. was a we'll, goth we'll, chick. It was hilarious. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll jump to the person that we have totally forgotten to mention up to now. Thea Queen, a.k.a. Speedy. Thea is definitely one of those characters that season one does not do her very much good. She's just kind of like, and I mean, to be fair, they set her up really well. Episode one, we did, we did skip over this. It's like, she's a bad girl doing drugs and Oliver, I'm going to be the good brother and get her to stop that. And she's like, you were dead for five years and I'm trying to hold my shit together, which is valid. Yeah. Because her family is certainly not giving her any support and she's not in a position to actually, again, go see a therapist. So she's going to do stupid shit and do drugs. That's what young people do in those situations, right? So it's like, and then that kind of cools for a while. They bring it back up. We, we Sadly, a lot of her build actually happens in the chunk we skip over. But Thea gets much more interesting after season one. But again, it, it's, it's not, she suddenly becomes a different character. They spend a solid year using bits and pieces to build her up. And then when the big change happens, I think it's season two or three, you can look back and go, all the pieces were there. So there's a lot of long game happening. Thea's, I don't want to say a casualty of season one, but she's she's not ready yet. She's a she's a longer term plan that needs time to 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 build up. A lot of the characters here, they have to build up to the season one payoff. She's a, she's a slow burn. Felicity is another one, frankly. Felicity is another one that like, she's just kind of a cool hacker chick and kind of adds a bit of levity and, and brightness to the show. But then she starts to pay off in future seasons. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything the else on the other thing, the other, One other thing I really liked about it is that Helena knew who Oliver was. And so that added an additional layer of complexity for that relationship, given they're both from wealthy families. Just yep. when he showed up, to talk to and the dad that I was trying to talk to him. He's like, no, I'm here to talk to uh, Helena. And he's like, oh, this is a merger. I won't stop. I groaned so much. Yes. But at the same time thought like that is probably what would really happen. Yeah. No. And I was like, that is exactly what I touch white dude would say. I guess. <laughs> That's it. That was my last one. Okay. So episode 23 sacrifice. Oliver and Diggle race to stop the Dark Archer from unleashing his vengeance on the Glades. However, they run into a roadblock after Detective Lance picks up Felicity for questioning. Tommy and Oliver's already tumultuous relationship takes a turn for the worse after Oliver makes a confession about Laurel. After hearing the danger of the Glades, Thea races to find Roy, inadvertently putting herself directly in the line of fire for Malcolm's devious plan. On the islands, Oliver, Slade, and Shadow are locked in life or death struggle against fires as his missiles lock onto a full Ferris Air jetliner. And a lot of stuff has changed. So to kind of quickly summarize, Malcolm, 
Malcolm Merlin is Tommy's father, and he's actually secretly a dark archer and also apparently uh, Jack Harkness. I mean, tell me he's not Jack Harkness. He's basically the same character. And a problematic actor, and we need to right. mention that also. But again, at the time, it was like, oh, hey, you know, Doctor Who actor. I, I, I know this guy. This is kind of cool. The, the, the Glades is kind of the slum area of Starling City. And this is the big payoff that, Doc, that Oliver's father warned of, is that, that all of these rich people got together ultimately to try to demolish this area. It's not covered in this episode, but I believe the intent was to demolish the area, ostensibly to build it up and put more things there, but also because Malcolm hated this area because his wife died there. And that's the reason why he keeps pushing this. Even when other people in the plan were like, eh, this is a bit too rich for my blood. <clears throat> Roy is another character that gets a, a, a payoff later, but Roy is kind of Thea's boyfriend. He wears a red hood that is absolutely no way indicative <laughs> of his future identity as Speedy, who wears a red hood. But also, again, they, they tie into some of the comics continuity is like, because Speedy was a lower class kid who ended up getting involved in drugs. Roy is a recovering addict. So they're, they're, they're playing into the continuity, but as opposed to the comics where this stuff comes much later and retconned in, they're kind of actually building that groundwork now so it can pay off later. Uh, and Thea gets wrapped up into that. So, and this is the part where the show is like, okay, you've been watching this relatively grounded show by the vigilante who murders evil rich people. How did we get to Earthquake Machine? And the answer is, you just do. There's no subtle introduction of the earthquake machine. There's no kind of, let's build a backstory. Maybe there's a lab. No, it's just episode 22. By the way, there's an earthquake machine, and it's going to show the glades. Go. <laughs> and I love that, right? I, I kind of love the fact that, like, we talked about before. It's like, this is a show that was, I don't think the show is afraid of being a superhero show. I think... 2007, the networks were a little afraid of being a superhero show. And I think the writers were like, we know what we are. Get ready for it because by the time this thing is a hit, the bus is too far along and then we're going to start introducing stuff. And just, you're going to be okay with that. And they're like, all right, no, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. Earthquake machine. Nope. Season finale. Gotta go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not e that isn't even touching that much on the dark. Archer, who is a member of the League of Assassins and is also a equivalently a super soldier. Right, right. Um, they originally it's like the, the subplot we missed. I think it was I think actually pretty soon after the um, Hunter stuff was that people start dying from black arrows as opposed to green arrows, and so they blame the hood for that. And so there's a whole like multi episode arc where Oliver's also dodging the police and Lance has turned on the hood and is that's trying to like find out where he is now and they get they re ramp up the adventure. It's so, like they try to find him and then they realize he's a good guy and they know he's secretly a bad guy and Dark Archer's framing him. And Dark Archer also, like with all of these stories, he is the slightly better mirror of the hero. That is often the first villain of hero arc, especially TV shows. This is the dark mirror of Oliver. He's an archer, but he's a better archer. And he's a, he's a richer archer. He's just better than you. <laughs> but for me, what was interesting is that what happens is Malcolm 
Merlin is an antagonist for Tommy Merlin. While the Dark Archer is the antagonist for Arrow. And in this episode, both of those subplot lines collide in a really satisfying way. Tommy Merlin gets screwed here. Like we were kind of building up the, hey, his redemption arc. And then he just face plants into the ground. Right. And it's the, the reveal of the dark archer as Malcolm Merlin is really relevant because it hits two different characters that they care about in two different ways. And that's really good structural storytelling, right? It's, it's not just the, it was me all along pulling a mask off. No, it's the, you start to see the threads of like, no, it was, I could see when it was Malcolm Merlin, how it built this way and how it was Dark Archer built that way and how those two points eventually converged into this moment. So I really love the structure built up to this. Nice. I would go so far though to say is that Tommy Merlin had, his redemption arc wasn't stopped. He had his redemption arc. He just didn't get to live to enjoy it. Okay, fair. Maybe it was the, okay, well, you're redeemed, you're dead. Because he confronted his father, a saved Laurel from the building. Right. Made amends with Oliver? Question mark? Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, there's the, again, it's the, I always knew it was you and Laurel. I, I shouldn't have been involved. It's like, okay, but, which is funny in retrospect, because we do, we find out much later, like, no, it's. Oliver and Felicity, but <laughs> and frankly, Ooh. way better. I don't know if you were following at the time watching it live and the amount of internet hate that relationship got. Ooh. Oh yeah, Alicity or whatever it's called. Yeah, um, yeah. No, there, there. It's around season three or four ish. There was certainly fans pushing both sides of that argument and again it showed huge investment like they were really interested in this romantic relationships in a way that you don't see for superhero shows they did a really good job building up interesting complex romantic relationships and this one's a little tropey but again cw knows what they're doing and again one thing that helps to cement arrows being a different kind of show is like the, the, again, the dumb comic book thing is like, we stopped the earthquake machine. And I know it's not called the earthquake machine, but it's an earthquake machine. We stopped the earthquake machine. We saved the day. There's a second earthquake machine. <laughs> <laughs> and they just fail. The glades are done. The, the, the whole thing is up. This whole season is building up to, and they blow it. And I'm just and when I first watched the show, I was like, what? And, and that's amazing because everything in this show is pointing a certain direction. And the show goes, nah. Oliver loses. But the it's it's interesting though, because it subverts what you expect, because you would expect that when Oliver contacted Lance to tell him about the glades, that would have had people starting to evacuate. But it wasn't that. Yeah. It was Oliver's relationship with his own mother. And her turning herself in, becoming a villain, but somewhat heroic by doing that, saved people from the glades that otherwise would have died. So it shows that even for all the capabilities he has at the end of the day, it was that humanity that he brought sparked in someone else that saved lives. Right. It, it is the a great example of how Oliver won by losing. 
right? Like for the wing column, he redeemed his best friend, Tommy. He redeemed his mother, Thea, or sorry, um, Fiona. Thea is safe with her boyfriend. Uh, and Laurel recognizes that she has feelings for all of her. Those are all wind columns. At the cost of that, the glades are done. His, his mother's in jail. His best friend is dead. His best friend's father is the person who did all of this. The glades, uh, the glades are still destroyed. His relationship with Captain Lance is destroyed. And it's like, how do you get out of this? You know, I mean, it, it's the thematically and emotionally, the emotional arcs ultimately end on positive notes. But the objective reality is like, we're going to go into season two and things are worse. And then we go into season three and things are a little bit worse. Each of those season cliffhangers ends up pushing Oliver deeper and deeper into deeper holes until late seasons, it gets a little wonkier. But like those first few seasons, it was really good about the Oliver's climbing out of the hole, let's shove him in a worse hole. And was in, from at the time, I, I, I was engaged. I was drawn along. I was compelled. I'm like, I want to keep watching this show because how is he going to get out of this? And that's good superhero storytelling. But also, as we're giving a whole bunch of spoilers for their seasons, this one, though, but that also sure. explains why Oliver in this universe would be the perfect vessel to become the Spectre. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Spectre, totally. a.k.a. Spirit of Vengeance, for folks that may not be deep in some of your, your comic lore there. Right. And then there's this other subplot on the island. Ugh. So when you go, okay, Oliver's doing black ops with some Australian guy and this other woman who, and, and they're, they're fighting this guy with Mrs. What the hell happened? And the answer is stuff. <laughs> Except the, 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 the flashback thing went off the rails real fast. Um, and the, honestly, I remember it being in the fans on this was very much a love hate relationship. So I love arrow, but man, the Island stuff is dumb. No one liked it. Uh, and the fact they kept it for five seasons is, is ridiculous. It does kind of pay off. I mean, the, the, the ultimate thing they're going for here is that the things that Oliver experienced in the Island come back to haunt him once he's off the Island. That's, that's the intent. And so Slade is being set up for, Spoilers for season two. Slade is a recurring antagonist, and it comes from his time in the island. So there's a point where the the storyline of the island stops, and it picks up in the modern day five years later. So that's the intent. But how they get there is some of the most what the fuck. <laughs> because he's literally... Yeah, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's literally he's he, he's fighting with a mercenary and a ninja against a spy who's shooting um jetliner down with missiles on I hasten to add a deserted desert island. <laughs> <laughs> Two of those three it's words are accurate. Nonsense. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. And I I thought coming back to it, it was like, yeah, maybe I'll warm up to the island stuff. And then the first couple of episodes, like, okay, maybe I misjudged this. And I saw this one's like, nope, 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 nope. I was right. I was right the whole time. But and you can't skip it. But it's Deathstroke. And, and to be fair, I love the guy who plays Slade in this because he is, I think, one of my favorite interpretations of, of that character. Mm-hmm. Anyway, final thoughts. We, you waited all this time to talk about Arrow. Was the journey worth it? 
I don't know. I feel like we built it up too much now. <laughs> so, for, I mean, for me, and I talked about this a bit in uh, Speechless. Um, this was my first exposure to Oliver Queen in a real way, right? Like, I've seen, like, the Justice League cartoon. I've read some comic books, but he was always a supporting character. He was, like, that weirdo with the arrows, right? This is my first actual exposure to Oliver Queen as a character. Uh, and... Honestly, this was the first live-action superhero TV show that I watched week to week. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was on contemporaneous to this, and I didn't. I fell off pretty fast from that. I don't quite count Agent Carter because it was such a short show. There's only eight episodes, and we talked about that, and it's an amazing show. But also, again, season two goes a very different direction. But this one, like every week for 23 weeks, I was like, what's happening on Arrow? Um, and it kind of, I kind of hated myself that I was really into this basically soap opera, CW soap opera, but it's, it's, it hits, it, it doesn't hit all stoners because there's obvious problems with it, but the good outweighs the bad for me. And it's, it's interesting that I care about the characters. The characters all have nuance, even though they're using stereotypical structures, there's always some extra bit that makes it interesting. You know, John Diggle could have just been the black sidekick. And instead he quickly slides to becoming a tired of your bullshit, rich boy, and then be the conscience of the team. And he kind of stays there. And then he goes through his own journey later on, which I really love all the characters change and grow. And they all make, amazing decisions and then they make terrible decisions and those terrible decisions lead to really rough in an emotional way episodes. So, and put all that just bonkers continuity that starts to grow out of this that I love as a superhero fan. And so it makes for a really compelling show. This is very much all the shows you watched before. This is kind of, where it's all leading to, you know, this is where Smallville and that Flash show are leading to. Is is this kind of show? How about you? Absolutely. You said you watched all seven seasons, so I think you're a fan as well, right? Seven or eight, or is there eight seasons? I feel like there was an eighth season, but it was like five episodes. <laughs> How, however long it ran, I watched all of it. I enjoy it, but it didn't scratch my superhero itch. I would, I like superpowers in my superhero shows. Okay. And so while this was enjoyable and I liked the characters and watching their development, it never quite stuck quite right for me, especially not first season because first season was very dark, very gritty ish mm -hmm. earthquake machines aside. But in later seasons, it became more kind of what I wanted. And then it went way too far. Yeah. And the flash, the second, I think maybe the second or third season, the flash felt about right. And then the flash will also go way too far because there's that desert sweet spot. And we talked about it. I want to say in our flash episode last time mm. is that you need to start your heroes at equivalent a C or D tier for powers. And then you can slowly ramp up over seasons, not so much over episodes. So you eventually hit a near godhood estate instead of being super overly super powered by the middle of second season. Like then you have problems a lot of writers have problems creating struggles for them on a weekly basis. Like it's just not one comic a month or something, but every week you've got a new show coming out. It has to be cool or you'll yep. lose fans and you'll lose money and then you'll get lesser budgets and then your show will be canceled. 
Right. And, and to your point, like in some ways, it, 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 these the shows do end up being a bit of a victim of their own success. Like um, you have to do 150 episodes. There's only so much you could do of Oliver's vengeance to, to redeem his father. You've got to go different directions. And comic books have a certain gravity, right? You know, it's like you're going to pull you towards the, the ludicrous and the absurd and the sublime. And it's really easy to tip over and go too far. And, and I agree with you. I think the show definitely, I fell off somewhere around four or five. When Mad Dog came in, it was pretty much like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> but I mean, there's certainly, like for example, Oliver gets funnier uh, as seasons go on. And Stephen Amell proves that he's a genuinely humorous individual. Uh, he has a very dry sense of humor and starts to show up more, and that's great. Um, uh, you know, again, Felicity becomes a much bigger character, so on and so forth. But uh, for me, I saw the potential in this season. But you're right that the Flash is the actual okay, and now we bring superpowers into this mix, and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And I guess is there anything else you want to say about Arrow? No, I think uh, that's a nice segue into us talking about The Flash. So speaking of The Flash, we're going to do The uh, the Flash Takes Two. The Flash has run so fast, and we're going to come around and do it one more time. <laughs> and this time, The Flash is part of the Arrowverse proper. And we're going to start with episode one of season one, the pilot. Then we're going to go to season one, episode nine, The Man in the Yellow Suit. And to finish up The Flash, we're not going to go for the finality finale instead we're gonna go season one episode 17 tricksters to, oh my God. to cap off our flash some of this may feel similar to the previous flash i'm about to say it's like you know every time we review flash we have to do a trickster episode apparently <laughs> you come on you knew i was gonna put it in there it, I, it was I'm, just a I'm matter of did. did i go episode nine or if i go like episode 22 but i think episode nine is important for the character and if people really want to know how it ends they can go and see for themselves it is no i mean it uh again flash season one is is a really solid season so i'm looking forward to talking about this and if you're in the u.s you can watch on netflix if you're in the uk you can watch it on now uh so um if you want to talk to you about uh, oliver queen uh, where would they find you online you can find me at darker underscore Hugh on Twitter. You can come into the discord and we've been talking about the greatest supervillain in the world. I'm not going to spoil it. You'll have to come and see for yourself or you can buy some of my stuff if you want at a uh, dark studios website online. What about you? Well, if you, if you find me, you can find me at uh, pugsteady.com. It's P U G S T A D Y. You can find uh, also my stuff there or on my website, realms of uh, or you can come to discord and be disappointed that we're not talking about Dr. Doom. Because <laughs> that Chris set up there, um, but someday I will talk about Doctor Doom. But yeah, no, come check us out, hang out with us. We'd love to hear your feedback and, and see what you'd hear from us. If you want us to talk about other shows, let us know, and we'll put it in queue somewhere. I'm sure. If you like this stuff and want to hear more of it, uh, Chris also has a Patreon. We're doing now bonus secret episodes that you can only hear on Patreon. So come thank check you us for the there. plug because I would never plug myself. <laughs> That's that's what I'm here for to sell you up, baby. Uh, so uh, we'll see you next week where we talk about the fastest man alive. Be seeing you. <laughs>